Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanning Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Roth Miriam. And I expect this show to be a little bit more rant than MTG, lesser, at least for the beginning of it. So we might put a timestamp in this somewhere for everybody. We might like tweet it out or something like that, because I don't know how long Ross is going to go, but the NBA deadline, just uh, the trade deadline, just went by, what, about an hour ago? Two hours ago? Two, uh, two hours ago. It was 3 p.m. Eastern. We're just about 5 o'clock now um, yeah. in real this time. Thursday, February 9th, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the reason I've been glued to my phone for the last three weeks. Sure. <laughs> just yeah. We're going to go over some of that, obviously, because Ross is super into it. He's going to want to get his thoughts out there. Other than that, we have a lot of magic to talk about after this as well, including Pro Tour prep, because Ross is going to be participating in it in uh, what a very short amount of time, right? What is it? Next week. Yeah, I'll say next week. So you're going to so go in the, Philly. Yeah. So. Well, I will be on the road. Well, I should be in Philly in seven days from now because we're, we're planning to leave early Thursday morning. So I'll okay. probably get in before five o'clock. Sure. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into more of that later, but... uh. A lot of stuff happened to the NBA over the last few days, and uh, for any of y'all... Really the last like, 24 hours. Yeah. A lot of talent came from the East, or superstar talent came from the East into the West, and... N- what else is new? Yeah, and LeBron's got to be pissed. That's all I'm going to say. Is well, like, the, the Lakers did pretty well. They did okay. Yeah, they did okay. Uh, I, yeah. I think getting the, the Hall of Players they did for only the one pick, and yeah. then they made some other minor deals around uh, after that. They they got a backup big in Mo Bamba. They uh, got off of Beverly's deal. They, um, yeah. I think there are a couple other minor things. Like a- after the, once we got to about two hours before the deadline, a lot of small deals started firing in. I think, it, you know, once the, the weird thing was that once the Kyrie deal happened, a lot of people thought that Kevin Durant might move and a lot yeah. of teams were going to try to get him. And yeah. until they figured out whether or not they could, they weren't about to trade assets elsewhere and potentially take themselves out of the running in the KD sweepstakes. I heard it was like the Pelicans and somebody else both had better offers, apparently, for KD, or like ones that could have been a little bit better, and that New Jersey, I'm sorry, the Nets wanted a little bit more, but KD wanted to go to Phoenix, is what I'm hearing. Uh, I haven't looked at into... It's probably close, because like, obviously, I know, I forgot the other two, but I know the Pelicans have the capital to make something like that happen, yeah. and, the player, and the players to make something like that happen. But the, they did get a pretty good haul from Phoenix. Uh, Michael sure. Bridges is awesome, and he's on a really good contract for yeah. four years. I think it's four years, ninety million. He's yeah, probably he's worth a great player. Yeah, you know, ten or twenty percent more than that. Um, mm-hmm. And the the weird thing with Brooklyn is one: if you were going to trade Kevin Durant, why did you not take the Lakers' offer or uh, with multiple picks for Kyrie? Like the offer that they got from Dallas was more of a we're going to keep a good roster around KD and yeah. see if we can make a run at it. And then he you just trade KD out. And now they mind, had this dude. roster that was filled with wings, which is all anyone in the NBA wants is three and D wings. And they've got like six of them on the roster yeah. this morning. They got Rose O'Neal, who they traded the Jazz for last summer. They got Dorian Finney-Smith in the Kyrie trade. Spencer Dinwiddie who's not really a wing, but just a good player. Um, and then the two they got from Phoenix, Cam Johnson and, and Michael Bridges, or Mikhail Bridges. And... So I thought they were going to you know, deal a bunch of them for assets at the trade deadline. No, that doesn't happen. So their roster is weird. doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't think they want it to make sense at this point. I, I'm convinced that KD changed it. Like, because there was reports out there, we're not trading KD, we're not trading KD. And then he might have just like changed his mind. Or they might not have had a firm commitment from him. And they were like, look, if we're not going to get a firm commitment, then like, we're just going to take a deal. Like, Yeah, uh, I I agree. Um, you know, I mean... 
this this draft class coming up is pretty good and stuff and like it's they're still trending towards possibly if not making the playoffs making the play in in well this year the the issue with well. Brooklyn is they don't own their picks for the next five years either they're outright owed to Houston or the, Houston has swap rights right sure for like the next five years because of the hardened of the uh, because Harden, of the Harden yeah. trade yeah from yeah. a couple years ago they're in the Brooklyn is shot to hell like they they yeah. went all in on this core of players and it just didn't work at all they played 18 games together by the way <laughs> 18 yeah it, it's comical I think that the, was the number that I saw yeah, yeah. and uh, my favorite part is that when they when you tally up what the Nets got in return for like for Harden Kyrie and Kevin Durant it's comparable to what the Jazz got for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert which I think is hilarious uh, I think a lot of people, you know, agree. Um, but the the Kevin Durant, like, once the Kyrie trade came in, then we're, they were going to need the Kevin Durant trade to happen before teams were willing to start dealing. And then we saw a bunch of, of trades go down today. Interestingly, not a lot of first-round picks getting moved. There was the four in the Kevin Durant deal. There were only four other total. There a lot was of one in the Kyrie deal, round picks, one for yeah. the Jazz that they got off of L.A. The Knicks sent a first-round a protected first-rounder because they have several protected from the trade over the summer. They sent one to Portland for Josh Hart, and one got sent from Toronto to San Antonio for Jakob Pertl, because for whatever reason, Toronto, who are like four or five games under 500, are like, we're one Jakob Pertl away from contending. But maybe you think that if all this talent left the East, but it's really only one team of talent. You're still contending yeah. with Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly, and they're not even close to those teams. So I don't know what Toronto was doing. Yeah, I don't know what a lot of teams were doing. But I certainly yeah. know what the Jazz were doing. And it's fire up the tank because we are ready to win very few games for the rest yeah. of this season. And they have a they're in a weird spot too. Like like that most teams in in their spot they don't have what the Jazz ever. The Jazz have a couple players that you could build around to be pretty good. They have money that they could spend, and they have a ton of picks. So they're in a pretty in they're in like the spot that like. New Orleans was in a couple years ago where, like, you could quickly turn this around. Yeah, you just need to find that marquee talent, and New Orleans had Zion. Um, yeah. We got pretty lucky getting the first pick when Zion was there. Yeah. Like, we're like, here's the funny part. If we get the second pick, we get Job ja Morant, and, like, it would have worked out either way, you know, because, like, there were people saying at the time that Job ja might have been better. I did hear rumblings of that the day before that, like, some teams would have taken Job ja number one overall, and, like, some people were like, you're crazy, and, like, we're seeing that they were probably right, <laughs> but... You know, whatever, and you you have some good drafts coming up. So, like, I mean, Utah could be pretty good going forward. But like, that's the thing. You're like, what's what's the West gonna look like in the next couple of years? Because it could get wild. So, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the contending teams you got uh, of the contending teams, like both LA teams are very old. Phoenix is very old. The okay. Booker's in his prime and locked up yeah, for and five years. And they're years. going in like all those teams are going in now too, which yeah. they realize they're like our window is the next like two to three years max. You, you do have Denver, Memphis, and New Orleans with strong young cores. Yeah. Um, which, the, by the way, Memphis or New Orleans should just be in the East. But anyway, continue. And uh, uh, or Minnesota too. Like what? Uh, <laughs> when we expand, expansion is coming, yeah. and I expect and expansion to come happens. to Seattle and Las yeah. Vegas. And so they'll, and then they'll the, move. two of those three teams, yeah. New Orleans, Minnesota, Just put Memphis, us in the East, we'll for the east. love of God. You put us in the East, we're like a two seed. <laughs> like, yeah. well, I, I think yeah. New Orleans is the least likely to move East because at least you're close to the Texas teams. Yeah, so you don't have as much yeah. travel there. But they move. we used to be in the East, though, is the thing that's really annoying. They moved us to the West, and I was like, it like screwed. Anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, regardless, of the, the Jazz were still in a good position. I was not a fan of what they got back from yeah. last night, as you know, evidenced by my <laughs> my Twitter feed. Sure. Um, and and uh, uh, Cedric giving you troll was trolling you, obviously. I knew yeah. He would. Uh, and uh, you know he'll do that, but. Well, yeah, um, I mean, like, he's also a very knowledgeable NBA fan, so, like, obviously, if you guys don't agree, you're going to, you know, yeah. tell each other no, it's uh, obviously. You know, after sleeping on it for a night and seeing what happened today, yeah. the one pick is, is fu- I, I, I will, I'll say this, I was always going to be fine with giving up with only getting one pick, because I knew they weren't getting two. Like, like yeah. it just wasn't a strong enough package to get two a better picks. Pick. Um, my, I have three issues, and I think if one or two of them had gone the other way, I would have been fine with this trade. But the fact that all three of them went the 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 wrong way still make me somewhat, you know, skeptical that this is the best they could have done. Mm-hmm. One is I don't like the protections on it. You know, it, it's on the Jazz probably aren't going to make that draft pick that it probably gets packaged in a trade in a, two years for a star because it's you know a really big piece, um, you know, potentially. But the fact that it you know. It doesn't have the highest outcome possible. You know, everybody talks about with Danny Ainge in Utah. You know, the, all the comparisons get made to what Danny did ten years ago, trading the aging core that he had in Boston, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, mm-hmm. over and Jason Terry. And, and, look, I and look what, yeah, and look what came out of that. You yeah, know, they got a, they got a dynasty on their hands. But the picks they got were unprotected from Brooklyn in that in that trade. It ended up being third overall, a third Dude, overall that poor, landed Jason, or was first and third that landed Tatum and Brown. Poor Brooklyn, by the way, they just cannot catch a fucking break when it comes to this. Well, like, you know, it's it's all it's all their fault. So I, sure, I don't have that much sympathy. Sure, it's self inflicted, but you would think that like they might run into one. It's like it's like it's like when you joke about me not having a trophy. You'd think I'd like run into a top eight where everybody just like fucks up, like mulligans, or just like I I get a walk, you know, to like to a, to a trophy, and it just never, you know, what I mean, like you yeah. gotta get at least one. But no, it just it just doesn't happen. <laughs> like, Didn't even make a conference finals. Yeah. They, 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 they won really, one playoff series in they, this They played together for two weeks, Ross. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> like, in, that's the other thing, too. Like, A, I loved when the Kyrie trade happened. LeBron tweeted out, uh, maybe it's me. And, like, look, it's cool that you have that in your range to think maybe it's you. Nobody thinks it's you. Okay, no, <laughs> nobody thinks it's you over Kyrie or whatever. It's, like, that's why I joke about maybe, like, you know, uh, LeBron's got to be pissed because, like, yeah, they did get a pretty good talent back in Russell, right? And they got uh they got the guy from uh Washington who's gonna like help out their roster and deepen out their roster too. I forget the guy's name, he had a weird name. And then um who's like a he's like a pretty good player. Uh, like a really good role player or whatever. But anyway, um you know, you, but then you see like that's you know, with the Lakers try to make when it, when a team with LeBron tries to make a run, you're you're expecting like the big move, right? You're expecting Kyrie to come there. Or like when you hear KD's name, you're like, ooh, ooh, like KD for Russ and a bunch of first-round picks, you know, like blah, 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 which, let's be real, LA didn't have anywhere near the first-round picks they were able to offer the same as uh, Phoenix did. But, like, you've got to you've got to believe that LeBron's sitting there and he's, like, making these moves, and then he sees KD come into the West onto a good team, and then he sees Kyrie get to play with uh, uh, Luka, and he's just like, son of a bitch. You know, because, like, <laughs> he already probably, like, they might not have been good enough to beat Denver as it is. You know, maybe, right? And then, like, now you've got Phoenix where if Phoenix is randomly healthy, like if all four of their like big name players are healthy, like that team is pretty scary on paper. But like it matters, like does Aiton show up? Does he want to play defense every night? Because like that's the biggest thing with him right now is like he has a really good game and then he has a, you know, a not so great game. And also, how do they do with the minutes where those guys are on the yeah. bench? How do they stack yeah, up? Yeah, exactly. Because this right. is and not like, the same deep team that yeah. they had two years ago when they made a finals run. Yeah, and like, yeah, well, yeah, and they just traded away some of their depth too. That's what a lot of people 
the biggest thing about this trade is you traded away a lot of your depth. Chris Paul's fucking 49 years old or whatever, right? And Devin Booker's coming off of an injury, right? And, like, he looked okay when he played the other night. Like, I actually watched the game the other night or whatever. Like, he looks fine. And, like, you know, but he's one of those players, he needs to be healthy. He's a lot like Steph. Like, when you think of Booker, like, a lot of people think of him as just, like, uh, uh, like more like a Clay Thompson. In my mind, he's more like a, uh, uh, th- I literally just said his name, the other guy's team, uh, Curry. He's more like a Curry where, like, He's a scorer. You know what I mean? Like, he's not just a shooter. Like, he'll, he'll pull... Like, if you put the wrong guy... He's actually less of a shooter than, than people really think. That's, that's what I'm trying to he say. He scores that's a lot the, more in the mid-range. That's what I'm trying to say. That's the point I'm making. It's like, you know, I was watching him last night, and they put, like, a like a, a small guard on him, and he, like, he posted a dude up, like, back-to-back possessions, and it, yeah. it did not look good. Like, it looked like he was having his way. You know, and I'm like, he's the kind of player that, like, you know, you, you, you run a playoff series around where he's just a fucking matchup nightmare. But, like, now you've got KD and you've got CP3 and you've got Aiden. Like, it's the typical problem you always hear about when these teams are so good. It's like, we're, we're, you only have one ball. Like, you know, because you're bringing in one of the greatest scorers to ever play the game of basketball, not just a good scorer. He is actively all time great in KD. I think he's like, what, third or fourth all time in scoring? Maybe yeah. he's third, maybe fourth. Uh, but he's oh, like, no. K- oh, KD's, he's out, he's like, 10th maybe at this point uh are you sure no 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 not like total i mean like points per game oh per game he is yeah he's yeah. like third yeah he's third because it's like maybe two full. people are over 30 it's like wilt oh, and... he's he's fourth yeah it's, it's it, like it, it's it's wilt mj, MJ it's, are over 30 it's mj points. wilt separated yeah. by a fraction of, of a point yeah, per game negligible yeah yeah and then elgin baylor's third at like Katie's or or five. Or something. yeah and then yeah and then katie's at like 27 points a game in his career and like that is like we're talking obviously first ballot Hall of Famer here, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, well, the Suns moved all in, so like, hopefully they get a championship out of it, you know, kind of thing. Or because like, we'll see what happens next year too. Like, you never know what's gonna happen next year. Like, the CP3 went out. Like, you know, I I don't know. Like, he, I, he did say he he didn't take it that badly because like he knows it's a business because he know he got he got offered for Kyrie because uh, they try to get Kyrie as well and stuff. So, man, it was a wild couple days. I did not expect all that to happen. Yeah, the the net stuff really uh, made it kind of extra wild. So uh, that that was really cool. Then you saw all the reactions to it today. But mm-hmm. as as far as the Jazz went, the, the protections on that pick that they get that they gave up, you know, limit its largest upside. Like that, when you trade for picks like that, that's what you're hoping for in the outcome. And you're expecting, oh, like you know, this team is super old in a couple of years when LeBron is retired and AD is like 32 with all the injury issues that he's had. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to carry this team. Yeah, I'm super excited about that because we have the same thing in New Orleans. We've got a couple yeah. of their picks going forward too, which we might not keep them anyway, but you know, because we have so many yeah. first round picks, you almost like have to trade and, and some y- of them. Y- yours are are unprotected because it was part yeah. of the AD deal, so they were yeah. definitely going to be unprotected. So. You you, know, like, you you sort of like have to hope for this weird middle ground where you're like, I need you to be exactly bad enough, but then also not move up in the lottery. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and it's just a lot to hope for to maximize the asset, which I, I don't really like. And I, you know, but, you know, it's still a, a, a good trade asset. Uh, the other thing I didn't like was the Jazz end up routing, uh, I think it was three second round picks to Minnesota. As part of the part of the deal it was three team. It was a three team trade, and why that needed to happen is beyond me. You know, I know that the Jazz have. I think the Jazz are sort of devaluing seconds in their case because they have so many firsts that they're just not going to have roster spots for these guys. But those are still valuable. Like you can flip three seconds for a rotation 
quality player as like six teams did today. That yeah. was most of the trades that happened at, towards the end of the deadline were just like, oh, three seconds for this guy, four for this guy, five seconds for Gary yeah, Payton. I was like, who has all these second round? Where did all these second round picks come from? Yeah, yeah really people, teams just throw second round picks around like yeah. candy. Uh, yeah. So, like, you know, that is a. I view three second round picks as like a low end rotation player that you just gave away in value, which just doesn't seem necessary for this trade. I don't know why it was necessary, but that's more value that, that they're giving up. And then. If they're if they're not going to get the maximal asset for, that they can get from LA, and they're giving up more value to Minnesota, I thought at the very least they should be able to dump Rudy Gay's contract somewhere. Rudy Gay is getting paid another six or seven million this year and next year. Obviously, most of this year's has already been paid, um, so that you know the team would only be responsible for the last third of that or so. But it's like six million something next year. You don't want Rudy Gay on this roster. Like he's a veteran. He doesn't want to, He doesn't want to be here. His like interviews after the trade were not good. Um, he was bad in the locker room last year. But like, but and I also knew that in order to make the salary work, they're going to have to send an extra salary piece to Minnesota. They instead sent Nikhil Alexander Walker, who is a restricted free agent in the summer, so his rookie deal is expiring. And I know, you know he, uh, Minnesota will have the rights to match whatever deal he gets elsewhere if they want to keep him. They'll have a couple months to, to look him out. He's he was pretty bad in New Orleans, but he was bad because he couldn't score efficiently. He yeah. has scored efficiently this year, granted yeah. in a very limited role. You could tell he had talent, like when you watched yeah. him play. You could definitely tell he had talent. Yeah, yeah. but he's he has looked like he can score somewhat efficiently. Now, m maybe that's an aberration because it's a small role. I don't really know. But in the time that I saw him in Utah, he looked pretty good. Uh, enough to that, like you know, Minnesota taking a flyer on him is beneficial for them. I don't understand why we give up all those seconds and don't at least dump Rudy Gay. So I so, wanted one of those three things, at least maybe two of them, to you know come out differently in the Jazz's favor. Uh, that's my sort of sober analysis of it. Sure, I so, I'll accept that it's happening. The only thing I could say for all of this, and like take it from somebody who went through a rebuild for like three or four years, but like yeah. the team fucking did it. You know, like we won a championship. We've got like a dynasty formed. Like literal, like 99th percentile happened. You know what I mean? Like everything, like. Like, you know, the same thing happened for, like, the Astros or whatever. Like, it worked. Like, you know, you tanked. You got a bunch of first round. You got a bunch of, like, first round talent or whatever. Like, everything worked. Because baseball's a little different than basketball. Yeah. I will say this. Wait till everything's done. Because I think the Jazz are going to be really active in the offseason. And then really active at the trade deadline next year. Because, like, look, you're not turning this around next year. No. Unless something yeah. wild They're going to be active for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. And see what happens all. Because, like, that first round pick might not even matter. It might not even be yours. Yeah. You know? Like, you, you might just tag that on to something next year to get, like the right guy or to get you know hey here's our first round this first round pick plus our next one to move up to get like you know a specific player or something you know kind of like a football play almost you know like so i gotta say this like you're in a good spot you're in an envious spot for oh, a team that you're still be, in a very good spot you could and be that, one of those middling teams like like freaking new jersey where you're like well we're just screwed you know yeah and that the interesting thing here or you Brooklyn, know, obviously sorry, the, the Jazz have, you know, outperformed expectations. They, they've actually already passed their preseason Vegas over yeah. under win total. Yeah, they, uh, yeah. they almost did it in the first month. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it was 24.5. They passed it. You know what I mean? This year, yeah. like what, like 10 and 1 at the board? 10, 10 and 3. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you think about, you know, where they were at the beginning of the season, you know, what fans wanted out of the season, we wanted... You know, a, a good draft pick and some hope. And I think we've, got, more we've gotten both of those that. two things. Yeah. 
Because Larry Barkin has emerged as an all-star. Yeah. Walker Kessler has emerged as a starting caliber center as a rookie. Uh, yeah. The other rookie, Ochai Baji, has put together some good minutes as a 3 and D wing recently. We'll get to see more of him over the rest of this year. So those three look like, you know, rotation players or better on a good team moving forward. So we have some building blocks. Uh, Colin Sexton you know, is potentially also another one. We're going to see a lot more of him down the stretch. Uh, so that's going to that's a something to keep an eye on in these last 25 games or so. But we got that fun early part of the season where the Jazz were winning and it was like, wow, this is you know, this is incredible that you know, this is actually fun to watch. So we we didn't get a, just a full season of awfulness and while that that those early wins that they racked up has put Utah out of the very top of the lottery odds. Like there's no way they're catching there's four teams at the bottom of the pack and it's Charlotte uh, San Antonio, Houston, and Detroit. Like, there's no way you know we're mm. catching up to them in terms of losses. Uh, Orlando used to be in that pack, but has been better recently and is probably going to continue to rise. The Jazz are only like four games out of the sixth or seventh pick. Yeah, which is and, still this is supposed to be a very deep draft. Yeah, and several too. teams behind them are you know planning to win for the rest of the season, and the Jazz aren't. Uh, so they should drop in the standings pretty quickly. Uh, the way I look at it is. Those four teams I listed are definitely going to be ahead of the Jazz in, in lottery odds. The uh, the two wild cards that could be ahead or could not be are Indiana and Orlando. And then I think every other team should pass Utah. So I think they're going to end up with somewhere between the fifth and seventh uh, best odds, which has a pretty good chance of at least getting into the top four. I, I know there are several really good talents at that point in the draft. Obviously, everybody's talking about the top two and Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson. Mm-hmm. Um, but past that, um, Brandon Miller from, um, uh, Alabama looks like, you know, uh, he's, he's been sort of dubbed the, the next Paul George, not quite as athletic as PG is, uh, but you know, just a long and incredible offensive talent is shooting like 45% from three right now. Um, and like, you know, well over 80% from the free throw line, which sure. is a better predictor of NBA three point success than college three point shooting. You gotta sure. look at their free throw shooting. Because that shows sort of natural shooting talent. Yeah. Um, there's the Thompson twins. There's uh, a couple others I, I've I've heard about. So that's probably going to be where my focus is the rest of the season is figuring out what you know where the Jazz are going to be, and uh, we'll have a fun night in the house here yeah. on the lottery lottery yeah. draw night because we've got uh, Chris McCurry here, who's a Hornets fan, ostensibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be rooting for them to move up and and get one of the top two picks as, as I will be with Utah, but. You know, they're going to get a, a very good pick out of this draft. We have some building blocks for the future, and we got at least half a season of fun basketball. Yeah. I, I can't really I think, ask for more. I think this is a like a 99th percentile A-plus season for you guys. Yes. Like, yeah. And Incredible I think when it's all said and done, like, let's say in two years, you know, you're back to, like, contending, like, when I say contending, making the playoffs, like, being a, a team, like, yeah. maybe contending three years down the line of being good, you know, when maybe LeBron's not in the league anymore, We'll see if, like, KD's even in the West. Like, Phoenix will probably be an ash pile then. Like, they'll probably be in, like, a very bad spot in three years from now. So, d- d- depending. Like, d- you know what yeah. I mean? Like, the team's pretty old and, like, all that stuff. But, like, when that's going on, you may look back on the trade of Minnesota for Gobert and just be like, this is one of the greatest trades of all time. Like, once, once it all gets said and done. Because, like, here's the... Maybe Gobert kind of figures it out a little bit with having Mike Conley there because like he played pretty well with Mike Conley. Like oh, maybe M- Minnesota's already started to figure it out. If you look at their numbers over the last month or two, they're incredible defensively. Um, mm-hmm. 
And yeah, I think they can get better offensively actually by utilizing Gobert a little more and Conley will be able to do that. And there's more shots now too with Russ being gone and Conley coming in. Like Conley yeah. doesn't have as much focus on scoring as, as yeah, Russ Yeah, he'll does. defer more to Anthony Edwards, which is what you want anyway. Which is anyway because that dude's a freaking superstar. Like he's like, yeah, that's Anthony the other thing too is like when you look at, when you look at Minnesota, they have so much top tier talent, but then like what what happens? You know, it's like one of those weird things. So not to go down to another diagram, oh. we don't need to like, you know, go into that. But uh, also... Mike Conley, like, obviously has played with Gobert the last three and a half years, uh, or last, or, well, yeah, whatever, yeah. previous three seasons, um, and knows how to play with Rudy, but put him on the floor with, in lineups with Cat at center. Mm-hmm. Mike played with Marcus Gasol for 12 years, a pick and pop big. Yeah. He can, pl- he'll be able to play with Cat, no problem. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unleash even more of that offense. So, uh, you, you've got a lot of versatility in, in how you want to juggle the lineups and stagger them to create different matchups based on, you know, what your opponent's doing and, and your opposing personnel. So I, I think Minnesota is sneaky good in the West, Yeah, but same. there's a lot of good teams, Memphis, Denver, uh, Phoenix now, you yeah, know, the Minnesota, West is so much better. And then you've got, you know, New Orleans yeah. hopefully gets healthy for the playoffs so we can, you know, see yeah. them at their best. Um, and then you've got, uh, Dallas with Luka and Kyrie will be interesting. You know, on any given night, they could just outscore you. I don't think they're going to, you know, defend a paper bag, but, uh, <laughs> sure. they, you know, if, if they're hot, maybe it doesn't matter. Then, yeah, uh, Luka has one of the series where he's just going for 49 and 9 every day. Yeah. Like, like what are you supposed to do? And then you've got the two LA teams. You know, I think the Lakers really reshaped their roster. AD is looking, you know, has looked great in that sure. time that he's played. So if, if, if their two stars are healthy, they, I think this is the best roster they've had around them since yeah. the championship season. Yeah. And really I, I like you know, we've made fun of how bad the Lakers have been. It's not AD and LeBron's fault. The rosters yeah. around them these last two years have been have been bad. Criminally bad. Yeah. Like very, very bad. It, typical it, LeBron teams. Like it's LeBron it, in a in a cloud of dust. The, like, these were worse than I think anything he even had in Cleveland. That's the first round of Cleveland. I that think is these were a lot. worse. Like yeah. this is criminal like not criminal, but like it is painfully negligent. You you like just awful GMing to end up with rosters that are this bad. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of happens. But we're about to move over into the uh, into the Magic side, but I'm going to say a few things here. I'm not sure I believe in the other team in L.A. I'm sorry, Anderson LeClaire, but I'm not sure I do. I just I just can't. Like, yeah, they really needed to get a point guard. And uh, uh, the funny thing is there was a trade done in the offseason for Mike Conley to go to the Clippers for I think it was Marcus Morris and some other expiring salary, probably sure. maybe a pick in there. I don't know. I don't know exactly what what it was because it's been so many months. But I, Tony Jones reported that like there was a deal that was in place, and the, then the Clippers found out that John Wall was available for basically nothing, and they thought, eh, we'd rather roll the dice with John Wall and not give up anything, and look where it's poor, gotten them. They poor John Wall, by the way, <laughs> yeah, sent he back is, to Houston. He is pissed. Oh, he said interviews where he, like he had an interview where someone's like, well, "How was your time in Houston?" He said, "Garbage, pure actual garbage." Like he yeah. he he may retire. Like honestly, like oh, he's know. definitely not showing up there. They'll buy. Yeah. They're gonna buy him out. Yeah, he's, he's only not, gonna he's like a gonna, six million dollar deal. He's never getting on a plane. He's never yeah. getting to the state of Texas. Like it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so, uh, but yeah, he'll he'll get bought out and go yeah. somewhere, and I don't, you know, who knows, you know, so, where what his mm-hmm. role is, but you know. I wonder what would have happened for the Clippers if they if they had gotten Conley because they've needed a point guard. They just don't mm-hmm. run offense. The, no. Their entire offense is my turn, your turn, isolations. 
Yeah. Which is why I think it's really funny they got Bones Highland from Denver, because that's all Bones does. Yeah, give him the ball and let him cook. Yeah. Like, he doesn't play defense. He doesn't help his teammates. It's just give him the ball and let him go to work. It's like, yeah. okay, I guess we'll let Bones Highland play this possession on a team with Paul George and Kawhi yeah. Leonard. All right. And so my other, my other last point before I get this, are you proud of me for keeping up as much as I did in this conversation? Yeah. that Honestly, I'm pretty impressed. I uh, did some research and I did some reading and this is actually like my favorite, like some of my favorite part in sports. I love like the business oh, yeah. aspect of it. I, I absolutely love the numbers and everything. I, I love the X's and O's in all yeah. aspects, whether it's on yeah. the court or off the I court love... in, in team assemblage and yeah. probably the team assemblage even more so. Like we, we've never really done on the show. You've heard me talk baseball before, but like there may be like, maybe I should just record a show like something every year, like before the baseball season starts where I do this and like talk it out. And like, cause like you'll hear me get into this where I'm just like, what the fuck were they thinking? Or like, why did this happen when like this was, you know what I mean? Like the little things like that. But like, again, we're also not in the front offices. We don't know this stuff. But anyway, I think we've hit about our, our limit for this. So for everybody at home, we're at about the 29 minute mark. That's for you, Brent, as well. If you want to put that with everybody else, we're going to move into the magic talk. Before we get into the pro tour talk, I know we kind of alluded to this uh, a little bit in the last episode. I don't know how much you wanted to go over that newish deck that's been, or like talk a little bit about the newish deck that like showed up in modern and then doing pretty well the eight blast or whatever deck it's called. Oh yeah. It's kind of simmered a little bit, I think. Yeah. Stuff, I think like, we've sort of cool... moved into the, uh, look at what amulet Titan is doing with yeah. the new land kind and of thing. The biggest thing is the new cards are coming in now. So like, yeah. I was hoping we'd have like a new archetype show up and like, you know, Termagoyf got really big and expensive and stuff again. And like, it was cool, but like maybe it's whatever, but like, it's so, it's so much copium. Like every time I see it on Twitter, because like you see the people talk about like, Amulet this, amulet that. The amulet players are freaking out. Like, I got a lot of messages after we did the first uh, spoiler episode where we barely talked about the land. That's, like, really good for amulet. Yeah. And, like, I've seen both ends of the spectrum where some people are like, it's a four of an amulet. It's broken. And some people are like, yeah, well, what are we cutting? Like, how do we fit this? Like, and I'm not going to even start to say that I'm an amulet expert because I, I literally, my eyes go crossed every time I take an opening hand with that deck. I'm like, what yeah. What am I supposed to do? Like, what's going on? Well, it's... from from what I've seen, the deck has gotten a lot more linear because mm -hmm. you're now just able to assemble, you know, multiple amulets yeah. really early yes. on in the yeah. game. And that lets you just kill on turn two and yeah. three really and consistently. I'm seeing, yeah, I've seen posts today on Twitter already. People are like, I'm turn twoing, turn threeing, like, all yeah. the time. But, like, and then I saw another post from a from magic person. They were like, amulet players are the biggest snake oil salesman in magic, you know, because, like, you know, the... <laughs> They'll tell you their deck's broken or whatever. I, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I mean, it's so wild. everyone tells you their deck is broken now. I see yeah. so many Twitter posts that are just, five little league, deck is cracked. You yeah. know, I lost playing the semis of my 20-person RCQ, deck is cracked. Yeah. And I'm just like, are you sure? <laughs> are you are you cracked in a, in, yeah. a, in a field of, like, not that many cracked people with an okay deck? Like, because, like, I made a career on that. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You, know? <laughs> like, you, you got to yeah. adjust for the other factors at play. Yeah. <laughs> I, I liked I liked Andrew Ellenbogen's reaction to all of this, and it was, you know what? It, it, in my experience in Magic, it's when the combo decks get less linear is when they get broken, not more linear, because that yeah. tends to make them more exploitable. So yeah. I, I have a feeling that we're seeing a case of a really powerful linear way of building amulet that people are not prepared for. And if they come packed with subtleties in their deck, then good luck. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like we have seen subtlety get to like some of its all time lows in in modern since it's printing, but I've been seeing a lot of people like kind of sleeving them back up and stuff. So like, you know, I've been seeing a lot of like four color decks. You know, yeah, you don't have, you know, Yorion and stuff anymore, but like when I say the four color deck, you know what I mean? Like the the, yep. the Omnath piles and stuff. And I've been seeing that pop up a little bit and stuff again as well. But 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about Philly that's coming up. We've got a pro tour coming up. You're going to be being a part of it. What two formats are you playing at this event? So it's going to be uh, Pioneer for the constructed rounds and mm -hmm. Phyrexia all will be one draft. Uh, so we got 10, 10 Pioneer and, and then two drafts, so six rounds there. Uh, you know, the, the, his, the, the traditional pro tour format where you, you get your, your draft in the morning and then five rounds of constructed following. They did used to do those in the reverse order in case anybody is curious or wondering about that. Um, so it's it's actually like I talked when, about this. When because, did they change? Uh, I don't I, I don't remember when it changed, but it, it's actually better for you know, for a lot of reasons to do the draft first thing in the morning because it's actually easier to set the venue up and you don't have to have a oh, pause yeah. in the actual tournament. That's the biggest reason for it because we had this come up in Fab where like they were in Flesh and Blood where they were talking about it because we do the split format there as well. And I remember I even got asked once they were like you know so like some of the judges there they're like we know what order to do this. And I was like you should do limited first 100 percent because come in you could have the table set up in a way where people could sit down for eight and then literally like as soon as the drafts are done while they're building you can pick you can recreate the other areas and stuff that you need yeah. to create and stuff because we have to change the feature match area too you know for if we if we cover the draft or if we don't depending on that we have to do like all kinds of logistical stuff and it's easier that we can get that done before you know you just come in like an hour early instead of instead of having an extra hour gap somewhere in the middle of the day because that's bad for coverage it's bad for everybody involved I am a fan of like a little bit of a lunch break in some of the events, but like no nothing else beyond that. Yeah, like there better be a fucking lunch break at our Philadelphia tournament. <laughs> so you walk, so you walk, is it close to Reading? Mm -hmm. It's across the street. Like I it is as close like, as you can get. I there was part of me that looked into the last minute flights the other day just to come hang out and stuff, but then I remembered it's like it'd be like two hundred dollars to walk in the building or whatever. Or yeah, stupid. Like I was like, come on. Like if I like. Maybe I should use my my connections and see if I can just get a freaking media pass or something, you know, like for you know just somehow like hey or like anybody got a plus one, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So I can just come in and you hang have out. Have to think ahead for that, Tannen. I'm not known for that. Plus, that's not that's not my style. <laughs> well, um, oh, I, also, I, I was I would just want to close the previous point. Sure. But I was thinking about it, and I know I played Pro Tour Dark Ascension that was limited last, and Pro Tour yeah. Dragon's Maze which was limited first. So sometime during RTR block is when it must have changed. Or maybe so Alice they, Restored. They got it steamrolled. They got uh, streamlined. Like, they got it there. Yeah. It almost said steamrolled. So sometime in 2012 or, or early 2013. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think back, but, like, you know, when I go when I go far back, like, you know, my first pro tours were either limited or constructed. There yeah, no, it wasn't even dual no, format. Yeah, there's no dual format stuff, so... But speaking of pro tours stuff, uh, I actually just signed on to do the uh, the pro tour for for Fab this year for coverage as well again. So like, awesome. yeah, get to, get to do that again because uh, that was that was a little up in the air for a little while there. Yeah, uh, I know there was some uh, negotiations some going on. There were some negotiations with contracts. So like like you were talking about earlier the NBA stuff. I had some negotiation con like some contract <laughs> negotiations going on. Not just saw, for myself. How, how many first round picks did you get? <laughs> uh, well, technically technically five because <laughs> i i got the uh, I got the deal that I wanted for myself and everyone else involved. Because awesome. that's that's the that's the big thing. Yeah, you is got, like, you got the Rudy Gobert Hall. Yeah, it's not just it's not just me. And my favorite part about it is um, when the negotiations happen. I'm just like, man, I feel really bad for for uh, like the other people involved because like I don't know like it don't means any like nefarious way, but like I don't know if they know what they're getting into because like it's it's five of us. They're talking. We're all friends, so we all talk. So we all tell each other the offers that we got like straight up. Be like we're like whatever. Like you know blah blah blah. So we're we're working together. Everything okay over there? He just had a weird look. Yeah, I just got a spam text. Okay, My sure, sure. been locked due to suspicious activity, Tannen. Sure. So, you know, we're all together on the same page, but 
the, you know, I'm one of the elder statesmen of the group. You know, I've been doing it longer. Like, blah, blah, so, like I get I'm elder. Yeah, I get to, yeah, sure. I get deferred to a little bit. But the other person that's in the same boat as me is Brian Gottlieb. And when it comes to any kind of labor negotiations, having me and Brian Gottlieb lead you, you could probably do a little uh, worse. An, an ex-lawyer. Yes, yeah. that'll... An ex-lawyer to... I, well, I, I don't know exactly comrades. what kind of law Brian practiced, so... Yeah, sure, it, you know. sure. I have I have had him look over multiple of my emails before, and I'm like, can you can you uh, make sure this is... Because, like, one of them I wrote when I was very angry. <laughs> I want something, I was like, can you... And he's like, yeah, I got you, you know, kind of thing. I tried not to... I tried to use that friendship too much, but it is... it's. You could have yeah. worse people around you to help you through this stuff in this in this environment than than Brian Gottlieb. So very true. Yeah. yeah. But uh so going into this weekend, those two formats. Which one do you want to kind of talk about first? Because I am woefully unprepared compared to how I would normally be for limited. And I actually feel like I've I've uh I've failed you, but I kind of forgot that that, that this was all happening. And I'm trying to stay off of arena as much as possible because I don't like spending money on arena. So So um I'll start with we'll start with Pioneer just because that's the one I've neglected most just because I feel yeah. pretty comfortable with the format already. That that's fair. I'm I'm mainly I've been mainly doing limited and I will continue to do that through the weekend and then I'll focus more on Pioneer a little bit uh next week when I can see some results from Moto, maybe see if anything, you know, drastic changes. I'm going to um, I'm going to go out of, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say that you're going to play White Weenie. That is my default deck. Yeah. So I'm basically you're playing. Yeah. That's my default if I think there's uh, and there's a, to be gained. I've got a sneaky deck that okay. I kind of like that I'm gonna you hold. Don't, don't have to say it. Yeah, yeah uh, uh, I'll hold close to the vest that I I I think is gonna be well positioned because I think the format is gonna be relatively aggressive. I think I think uh, so too. I think there's going to be a lot of Rakdos, a lot of Gruel, a lot of humans, a good amount of Lotus Field, and a good amount of angels. I've actually um, seen some people who play Lotus Field recently saying that they think this is one of like this is the worst position Lotus Field's been in like six months. Yeah, but I'm not sure, you know, about that myself. We have we have effectively reached the point where people are starting to actually respect Lotus Field mm-hmm. with their sideboards, which just didn't happen for a while because sure. as successful as the deck was on a per rate basis, uh, you know, its win percentages and consistently putting like one or one person or maybe two people in the top eight, it just wasn't widely played enough. For you to want to use sideboard space uh, on it, and it's it started getting more popular after the first regional championship season and in the early part of this year, and we, you know we've finally seen people say, okay, enough is enough. Let's start you know playing some damping spheres or alpine moons or what what have you. And it's not like that chaos that obviously it's still succeeding. Besaju is a great card to answer all of these pieces of hate that they main deck several copies of. Uh, you can also bounce them with Ottawara and things like that, but it does make it tougher. And yeah. I think we're going to see, you know, the Lotus Field Masters are just going to stick with their baby, tune it for the metagame they expect, and hope for the best. And I think they're right to do so. Uh, you know, if you have mastery of such a unique deck, you, you should leverage it. Um, but I don't think you're going to. Uh, we're going to see a lot of people like glom onto it as their, you know, techy deck for the weekend. Um, so it, it'll be around. I, you know, I'm not sure how well it'll do because I don't know how you know. It's there's going to be a cat and mouse game there of like, okay, do we really need to bring that much hate? Uh, if not as many people are going to play it, or can we go back to ignoring it? Uh, and I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but it's definitely on my radar. I plan on respecting it, um, but I think it the the broad strokes where I think Pioneer is is a lot of aggressive decks and Rakdos to try to contain them. But the fact that we have a, a relatively aggressive deck in Gruel Vehicles that is quite good against Rakdos, 
um, really, you know, changes that metagame. The wild card, though, is mono green. You know, this is the deck that people have called for bans for. You know, the most powerful deck in the format has been a tier one deck for like six months. I think that's a deck that is on the decline. And that's going to play a big, you know, big part in how I want to, you know, metagame. I think that's part of the reason Lotus Field has gotten worse, too, is it doesn't have those the mono greens and the Is It Phoenixes to prey on that it did months ago. Is It Phoenix is sort of like, you know, gone. Uh, and so what you're seeing is, all, you know, these aggressive decks that aren't as good of matchups as, as well as increasing hate in the sideboard uh, for Lotus Field. But mono green, like... It's just not as good against Rakdos as it used to be post Misery Shadow, uh, and it was. Not, I don't think it was ever as good against Rakdos as people thought it was. Um, you know, it was favored, but it wasn't a slam dunk. So Misery Shadow was enough to really, you know, make the bring the matchup to relatively even. And without that as a big favorite, you know, the metagame is a lot of decks that you know Mono Green gets you know beat up by. Mono Green's pretty good against Gruul. I have no idea. I don't know how Angels like is against anything. Um, that, that's like sure. my blind spot because I look at that deck and I'm just like, ugh, that, that sounds terrible. I it never want to play that deck. Decks just, his draws of fair decks just like can't beat, like can't yeah. keep up with. Apparently like, it used to crush Phoenix. I played against it once in the SEG and annihilated it and with Thing in the Ice and I was like, this seems easy, but yeah, it's supposed to be hard, but I, you know, sample size of one. Uh, yeah. But perfect, that's, perfect. that's where I am yeah. in, in Pioneer. I think Monogreen is, is on the downswing. We have a much more aggressive metagame. There's still going to be a good amount of Rakdos, and uh, that's where, you know, that's what I'm thinking about, uh, and, you know, I'll adjust at based on the results that we see from this weekend, and, uh, you know, talking with my the my testing team. I've kind of stayed away from our Discord, because I like to do things alone to start, and then develop some opinions, and then try to compare, so I'll, I'll get in touch with them in the coming days, and, and talk to them a, uh, a lot, because... I think metagames are one of the things that you really can use the wisdom of the crowd for where, you know, I might have some biases of where I think it's going and I'll be wrong in some ways and right in some others. And same is true of, you know, the 10 other people in this discord channel, however many there are, I don't really know. And if we all just sort of compare notes and take this aggregate, we're going to end up being closer than any of us will be individually. So, mm -hmm. um, th that'll be a big yeah. part of, of, you know, how I envision that, you know, how I develop my conception of the metagame before I land on a final deck and list. So like kind of going over what you're thinking, it's like talking a little bit about, um, you know, we talked about this a little bit that one of the reasons mono green was good is because red black was keeping down some of the decks that were good against mono green. And like that has been less of the case, I think lately as well as, you know, we're talking about Lotus field getting worse. You know, when I, when I look at the results of like what I think and what I think is the best deck right now in pioneers, I, I think mono white just might be the best deck overall. Pioneer, like one of the safest picks depending on how you define it and like that deck can do pretty well against uh the lotus field deck it's like it presents an extremely good and fast clock while having like folia made like just folia alone on the play against that deck with a decent curve is generally enough to win you game one and then you know you've got a little bit of you know possibly some other stuff to work in in like game two but you just have so much against going against them where if they have a slow draw at all, you're going to punish every single one of those, and then Thalia makes their go-off turns that much more important, because like now they have to be able to go off and interact with you. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons you've seen that kind of go down as well and stuff, and so, you know, you've seen Mono White go up in representation. You know, it did amazingly well in Atlanta at the DreamHack, 
it was much more representative than I thought it would be. And like, maybe I just didn't give the deck enough credit at the time. And then I would watch the games and how they play out. And I was just baffled at how good they were. And it yeah. just makes sense. You know, it gets to utilize some of the best lands in the game. You know, you've got Mutavault plus like, you've got these lands that are like spell things, right? You've got Iganja, you've got Castle, Ardenvale, you've got Shepherd Dunes. And like, there's not really drawbacks on these lands. You know, they tap for white mana, like come and play on tap. It's not like it was in the past where you have to play like your Lava Claw Reaches or something, you know, or your Raging Ravine tapped. Like, you've got these things and like, you know, Mutavolt does a lot of heavy lifting in these decks. Brave the Elements wins a lot of the fair games and stuff. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of this deck. And if I had to play Pioneer tomorrow, that's probably the deck I'd be choosing. Yeah, it, it remind me, reminds me a lot of the white aggro decks that did uh, very well at, you know, the last Pro Tour before the rebranding to Mythic Championship that Ellenbogen sure. won. Yeah, uh, I actually played, you know, that deck the next week at an Invitational and went 7-1 uh, in that portion with it uh, and came away, you know, incredibly impressed by the deck because, you know, it it didn't feel like a normal aggro deck where your cards are really underpowered. And in the same way, you know, there's a lot of really good one-drops that That's do a lot they, of things into the late game with Dauntless Bodyguard and Hopeful drops. Initiate yeah. and yeah. now Recruitment Officer, um, even Kithian. And then you've got these, you know, Thalia's Lieutenant and Brave the Elements as incredibly powerful cards. Uh, you know, the the standard decks by, you know, Analog had things like Benelish Marshall, History of Benalia, and Venerated Loxodon. Uh, and so, you know, your cards are quite powerful. You, you mentioned Thalia as well. And then, you know, uh, you have good interaction. And then you have all of these mana sinks going along. So you really don't flood. You know, I, I've said that I've written this many times over the years in my articles, and I'm sure I've said it many times. But I love aggro decks that can freely increase their land count. Because mm-hmm. they have, you know, so many, uh, you know, options to use their mana going along, because that is a surefire way to get a very consistent aggressive deck, and consistency is so key for aggro. Um, you, know, you just can't stumble in the early game, and if you're so, you know, sort of antithetically, I like playing more land drops because that leads to not stumbling. You know, you make sure you make a land drops, but then you know you need all this flood protection. So aggro decks that sort of have inherent flood protection from activated abilities on their cards and utility lands are really attractive to me. And, and that's what humans is. And it creates a deck that, you know, has some very good matchups, you know, because there are definitely just decks that fundamentally struggle with aggression. But even in matchups where you would traditionally struggle, like a Rakdos midrange, the deck is powerful enough and resilient enough to put up a fight. I know, that, yeah. you know, uh, Jesse Robkin and, and some of the other, mon- uh, you know, devoted humans players will actively say that they think the Rakdos matchup is favored for humans. Um, I would say that that Rakdos is a slight favorite, but slight. And, uh, you know, the, the matchup is very close. And, um, you know, maybe that changes actually now with Ossification, which I think is a great removal spell option for that deck uh, and gives you the versatility that you you didn't really have. Um, you know, I don't like playing Deck and Stone against them because I don't like giving up that card advantage. But ossification can easy, cleanly answer a shield rid or you know some of the other creatures that uh, you know get in your way, uh, while also being relevant in, in other matchups. Um, so uh, that that could be an upgrade that the deck gets too. So yeah, mono white humans is just a it's just a good deck. <laughs> now, the new set's going to be legal, right? For this yes. event, and is that going to be a problem? Possibly throwing a wrench in for anything that you're doing. Plus, I know that like card availability might be a thing as well for people. The vendors there are going to make bank. Yeah, I, I don't expect that will be a, a major issue because I think the I don't think 
there are a lot of cards that make a huge impact. Um, the but the main cards that do are probably going to be the 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 fast lands. Mm-hmm. And I already own a full set of those from back in the day. So yeah, like one of the things that I think about with this is like I kind of agree with you, right? Like hopefully there's something there that just like drastically changes everything. And it does make me worry about timing in the future where whenever they make one of these standard, because I think they're saying what the third one I think is going to be standard, possibly if I remember right. I can't remember. But there's going to be a standard one at some point. And if you do it on practically a release weekend, that's actually like a pretty big problem for a lot of these players. And it's like that. So like that could be an issue that comes up in the the future. And yeah, it's like, hey, you're on the pro tour, deal with it. At the same time, like I'm not the biggest fan of that kind of stuff. So... Let's see what happens with that. Hopefully, they adequately prepare for that situation with the players in mind. But um, mm-hmm. I will not be holding my breath. Yeah, I, I also <laughs> I don't remember. Now you do also have to play limited at this event. And Ross, I can't believe I'm saying this. I have not drafted the set. Usually, I'm like thirty deep by now. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm, de- I'm definitely not thirty deep at this point because I also spend some time watching other people draft yeah, rather than just continue sure, it in a hole. Too. Yeah, that um, too. So I've probably watched five or ten, and I've probably played ten or fifteen. So I'm at like you know twenty ish, we'll say, um, over the last you know week, less than less than a week, I guess. Um, but I, I'm I think the the sort of outline of the format is pretty clear. It's a very aggressive format, uh, and I I think I might have underestimated how aggressive it was when I first was playing it, like. I'm at the point where I'm playing, you know, eight two drops on my decks, and I'm happy about it, you know. Uh, and uh, I've been one of the cards that is growing on me is a grizzly bear with an ability. <laughs> sure, it's sure. it's a it's a it's a one and a red two two. When an ETBs, you you may sacrifice a creature. If you do, destroy target artifact and opponent controls. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of there are just a lot of artifact creatures. There's also equipment that you can hit. Um, and you often have, you know, different creatures that you, you can sacrifice, especially in red. Um, and it's a reasonable two drop. It's also an artifact itself if you're doing artifact synergies. Uh, so it just has a lot of other things going for it on top of being a two drop, but super mm-hmm. aggressive format. Um, my main issue with it is that the gameplay, I think it is pretty bad. Um, it being very, it's both very aggressive and just very difficult to catch up if you fall behind. There's a lot of really good combat tricks. There's two combat tricks that draw a card, Tannen. The yeah. white one is awesome. It's two mana, instant, give plus two, plus two. If you targeted a creature with toxic, draw a card. Yeah, that, that one's great. Yeah. And then there's a red one that's just two mana, plus three, plus one, and Chandra. Exile the top card, you can play it this turn. So you get you can play a land off of it. Um, that one is, has fallen a little bit in my pick order just because... It's a little, it's a little harder to use, yeah. Yeah, it's also just harder to cast it and keep your creature on the battlefield. So even if you get the two-for-one, the tempo that you give up by trading material on the board is often not even worth it because the format is that aggressive. Uh, but the, yeah. the white one is awesome. Uh, Where are so you talking to... Yeah, sorry, yeah. There, there's a ton of combat tricks. It's just, Even though there's a lot of good removal, and there is quite a bit, I it, it still just feels really hard to catch up from behind. I thought the removal would help you there, but it it just doesn't. Uh, that that's the part that I'm not sure. Like I'm missing something in my you know uh, evaluations in my uh, big picture evaluation mm. of the format. Uh, so there's like a hole missing uh, that I've got still have to figure out. But right now, um, I hope that I will be playing a lot of planes at the Pro Tour. I think white is far and away the best color. Um, 
in for two reasons. One, it is uh, the far, easily the deepest in terms of its commons. It right. has like six commons that are all solid playables, and no other color has more than like three or four. Wow. Uh, blue might not even have three. <laughs> blue has some really good wow. uncommons, and it, it's not as bad as people think. But you got to you've got to like only go in it when you get the uncommons. You can't mm-hmm. like aggressively go into blue. Um, but white it just has a ton of depth at common. Uh, obviously, it has like two of the best rares in the format too, just in case that makes a difference. But sure, uh, yeah. the other major uh, you know factor in its favor is you know it, this is a, in addition to being an aggressive format, it's a very synergy driven format. You know, all the signposts are, are very clear in what those color combinations are trying to do. And I think all of White's color combinations are quite good. Uh, th- there's not many color combinations I, I think are bad, but White's, you know, set of four are near the top. Um, and uh, I think, you know, Orzov is my favorite color combination. Selesnya is pretty close to that. Those might be my top two. But Boros is also very good if you can get it. Um Boros ends up being the equipment deck, which is very different than the toxic deck. So you, you take your card evaluation changes a lot. There's a sure. little bit of overlap, but the where the Boros decks have an advantage is um, it, in the games where you where both players curve out and you kind of bounce off each other, trade off a bit, and nobody gets really far ahead. You end up in this late game with a bunch of equipment lying around that you just sink all your mana into to yeah. dominate combat. Your one um, drop or your two drop now acts like a six drop. Yeah, all, all the mites that you generate, you know, the the one ones that can't block the toxic mm-hmm. one, you just start equipping them and like getting in for three, and uh, they have to trade real creatures for them and things like that. So the equipment is sort of like a way to give yourself a long game without having to put too many expensive cards in your deck, mm-hmm. uh, because there's a bunch of four mirrored equipment. I don't know if uh, that make a two two with it. So they're basically creatures yeah. that come with an equipment attached. Uh, so you're able to just curve out with reasonably sized creatures and then have all this equipment lying around going long. Uh, and then white-blue um, is the hardest one to get. That's more of an artifact deck. Um, and, it, you know, uh, it, I would say, like, isn't really even available at some tables just because of the way the cards go, but can can be quite good. Um, and really just the, the, the biggest thing is the quality of white's commons, like, just all the way up the curve. The the two drop toxic vampire, the three flensing raptor, the three drop wind drake, the four attendant, the four mana three four, uh, and then the five drop that makes two mites, three three flyer, the shepherd. It just has four very good commons all the way up the curve. Now you're telling me that you think that this format is like less defined by the rares than people thought it was gonna be uh going for. Like I know when I looked at the spoiler, I was like, this is gonna be a very like bomb heavy format and it's going to lose or rare my opponent plays you said you, you feel like it hasn't really been playing out like that is it is that because of all this aggressiveness it's one due to the aggressiveness of the format you just you know don't find your bombs as often and games end before you can cast them uh but it is also due to the quality of the removal like you know there's a common pacifism there's a com there's a claustrophobia in blue the i think what the best common in the set i think is anoint with affliction which is uh one in a black instant exile target creature with mana value three or less but if they're corrupted, you just exile any creature. Sure. And, uh, you know, that's at common, and it's not that hard, especially for black decks, to get you corrupted. That's what the black decks do. Um, so, that, you know, that can deal with anything. There's some quality red removal. Red doesn't deal with the bigger things as well, but almost all the other colors do. Green has a very good prey upon. It's plus one, plus two in fight. I think there's been, a, a, like, epic 
confrontation. There's been another green card with the same effect, but yeah, it's like green, a major green, duel or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Green also has an ambuscade. It, it doesn't give plus one power, but it gives the opponent a poison counter. Two mana instant creature deals damage equal to its power to something. Um, See, so that's uncommon, but th there's just a lot of quality removal. Um, you know, ossification at uncommon. The minus four, minus four proliferate in black and uncommon, but. So you can end up dealing with a lot of things like, you know, Glissa just, you know, which if unchecked is insane for a strike death toucher that draws a card every time it hits them, uh, is, you know, going to dominate a game if left unchecked. And I have played a game where my opponent casted on turn three and 10 turns later, I had not found any of my removal spells and I lost. Um, but the, more, more often than not, you're going to have a chance to answer some of these rares or, you know, some of the ones that are even, you know, uh, bigger impact like white sun's twilight blue sun's twilight or the the planeswalker the it's i keep wanting to say the wandering emperor but it's like the eternal wanderer it's the so other the one the wanderer yeah 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 i know what you um, mean. i think everybody you, does when you say you, that you can just end games before your opponents cast like yeah because like I, that card is absurd obviously but yeah. like you're saying you think that you know there's a lot of games where you, you could have that ear opening hand and like you may just be dead before it it's the board. Yeah, you just like a lot of games just end on turn six. Like, did did you make all six of your land drops and win the die roll? <laughs> you know, oftentimes you do not. Yeah, honestly, the the one of the cards that has impressed me the most, uh, and this is true of other people I've talked to, is a is a one drop. It's a, it's evolving adaptive in green. It's like experiment one, but mm -hmm. with oil counters. So it's a zero zero that gets plus one plus one for all oil counters on it. Starts with one of them. And then anytime a creature enters with greater power or greater toughness, put an oil counter on it. But there's there's also just other ways to put oil counters on it, whether Proliferate, it's proliferating yeah. or the there are several red uh, cards that do it. There's a, a one mana, give plus two, plus two, put two oil counters on a creature. So it's just a fine trick that also just like gives this creature plus four, plus four, and two yeah. of them stay permanently. There's The red skull bomb is one in a red sack, draw a card, put two oil counters on a creature, so you can use that, you know, in your like gruel oil decks and things like that. There's a red uncommon magmatic sprinter. It's a two and a red for a three, two haste. When it ETBs, you put two oil counters on a creature. And at the beginning of the end step, you bounce the sprinter back to your hand unless you remove two oil counters from it. So you can put the counters on the sprinter itself and keep it in play mm -hmm. until the next turn because you have to keep removing two every turn, every end step. Or you can just put it on a creature where you need oil and have a, you know, be a continuous supply of it and then keep hitting for three with it like a Vyoshino Sandstalker of sorts. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, I've just seen Evolving Adaptive get out of hand so quickly and your decks are naturally curving out all the time anyway that like it's very easy for that card to just be a 4-4 four, four on turn four and suddenly it's a one drop that's trading for a four drop and that's absurd. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else you want to talk about for the Bird Tour? Um, you know, I, obviously I'm not, you know, as far as limited goes, I'm not, you know, at a, you know, an expert understanding of the format. I've sort of saw, I got to the point where I, I knew white was really good and I spent a day basically drafting only white decks and I did really, really well. And yesterday I started like branching out and trying other things and I did okay. I was winning, you know, probably four or five games on average with my decks on, on arena. And, uh, but it was just, it was just a slog. <laughs> like it was so much harder trying to win with, is it decks and Rakdos decks and, uh, you know, things like that. But um, I, don't, I don't think those decks came together as well. Um, so I, I, my goal for the next couple days is to try to figure out, like, what are my signals that I should be getting into these decks? And, you know, I know I'm going to get a good version of them because I, I think almost every color combination has versions of them that are really good that aren't, like, super far-fetched where you need a bunch of bombs and things. 
Um, but like the B plus versions of those decks are so much worse than the B plus versions of white decks that it's hard to get, you know, get into them aggressively. So I got to figure out like, what's the signal that I'm going to get the A minus and A versions uh, of those decks. Um, and then the, the one thing I, I will say as a positive for the format, I do think the draft, the actual draft is, is quite fun because mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways to cross match the different mechanics and make a synergistic deck without being incredibly linear. Obviously, like ideally you would just be really linear, but that's just not how drafts go most of the time. So like I've had decks, for example, that played a bunch of red equipment cards and equipment synergies and then use the equipment as non-creature additional non-creature spells to fuel some of the oil stuff. Red also helps the oil with blue. Um, you know, things like that. You know, I, I think you can do the same thing with equipment and artifacts in like white blue. You can, you know, use proliferate with either oil or with uh, toxic. Obviously, uh, a lot of people are doing that. So, uh, I, in when you're drafting, you got to figure out like, I think where are the cards that are going to fit into multiple different archetypes and prioritize those early, uh, along with removal, of course, because that goes into every archetype. Because it's going to be really important to find the open deck at the table and in the open colors because you really want to be getting the cards that match what your deck is trying to do late in the draft. You want to be wheeling the, the solid playables in not only in your colors, but in your archetype. Because a card like, uh, you know, the there's a three mana, four Mirrodin equipment that gives plus O plus one. So it's just a two mana, a three mana, two, three that comes attached to an equipment uh, that is a bread and butter common for the equipment decks. Y you basically don't touch that card in the white toxic decks. Um, you know, there are some cards that, that cross match, and those are the cards I take highly. Look, basically yeah. the good two drops. Um, I, abs I absolutely love formats like that where, like, your evaluation of certain commons and the commons drastically changes depending on what color combination you're in or what version of that color yes. of that deck you are. That is true of this format, and it makes yeah. the drafting fun and the deck building fun. Um, I actually think sealed in this format is going to be better. I know a lot of people are, are wary of it because it means more bombs. But I think the removal is good enough that you can handle it in sealed. <laughs> and you should be very judicious with your removal in this format. Yes, like. and, and toning down the aggression a little bit because it's sealed. Your curves aren't going to be as as low. It, it will actively help you. <laughs> uh, well, well, will actively help the gameplay of the format. Sure. And I did. I, I played the pre-releases actually last weekend. I did a an individual and, and a two HG. Two HG was miserable. Yeah, that format is usually uh, not the best with some, because, some of the cards limited because they're not worded correctly for some of the stuff. Well, and... w so where sealed would uh, would temper the aggression of the format by you know making your curves worse. To it, a giant actively pushes it further because yeah. you you just split the twelve packs across multiple colors. Though I was playing with my roommate Chris, and we ended up just both playing white because white is so good. <laughs> we actually didn't play blue or red because they were so bad at our pools. We played white, black, and white green. <laughs> Nice. He did. Yeah. He splashed a Luca in his in his white green sure. deck. So we we had sure, sure. we had a splashed planeswalker. But uh, uh, I would have to put in some time and play at least a few drafts of the format so I knew the cards, so that when I'm watching the coverage, I can really appreciate the limited yeah. rounds. I'm, I'm at the point where I know all the cards, but I've got to learn the card names still. Like oh, you, you can hear me saying, I'm just describing to you what the cards do. Yeah. Like I know some of the card names, but I know like a third of That's... them maybe. That's the hardest part of my job when I do commentary now for Magic or for Flesh and Blood is like, I was, you know this, I've always the guy that like, I know what a card does. I can't remember. Like, 
uh, I don't know what it's called. I just know the sound it makes when it kills a man. You know, that saying from, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the perfect example. Like, that saying from, what is that, Tropic Thunder or whatever. And, like, that's how I am. So, like, for coverage, having to know all the names of the cards, I'm like, damn it. Like, I'm so used to, like, not having to do this. I can just describe the card or play around it correctly or whatever. And stuff. So, like, I'm right there with you. I'm, like, really bad about card names and stuff. Because I, I don't even look at them anymore. It's like, I know what this card does by the side of it. So, we go from there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you're playing this format at home and, and maybe you've been struggling with it, um, I might. would just suggest uh, t- take more two drops. Yeah, sure. Uh, so that about wraps up what we had uh, set for this episode. We do have a mailbag question I want to get to before we get out of here because uh, I do actually have some stuff I need to do today. So it's going to be a little bit of a short episode. Sick but brag. I'm really looking for, shut up. I'm really looking forward to the next episode where we get to kind of come back to this. It'll be after the yeah. Pro Tour next weekend. It was going to be like, hey, like, how'd it go? Like, what was? It? Unless you want to do a last minute uh, one right before, we'll see if that works out. We'll, we'll see how how yeah. Next nervous I am and how much last minute prep work I want to put in. Yeah, but yeah, I would I don't not expect an episode next week because uh, yeah. uh, we're leaving early Thursday morning, so I've got sure you know th- three days. Yeah, uh, Declan's submission I guess is is Wednesday at midnight. So yeah. I could we Maybe. could do it like on Wednesday and try to get Brent to do a quick turnaround if if he's available. Yeah, that's the other part is like it won't be ready probably before the Pro Tour is the, is the problem. So yeah, like, yeah. So timing of this is is interesting. But all right, we did have a mailbag question from Reverend Christ if you wanted to get this this week uh, in this week because uh, I've been trying to think of this one and try to think of a good answer for it. It's what non Pioneer legal sideboard card would you like to see printed into Pioneer? And while you think about this, I was thinking of a few of them. And I was just like maybe Flusterstorm, but like we have Mystical Dispute and stuff like that. So like maybe Flusterstorm, though that does seem pretty weird to put the Storm ability on one card uh, into the I, format. I already know my answer. Sure, go ahead. Celestial Purge. Alright. I kind of like it. I mean, there's some there's some bad variants of it that are legal. This, yeah. no, This came up when I was playing Mono White Humans for the first time last summer and I was looking at the removal that they had I remember and I was this. like, ah, yeah, I, I want a removal this. spell that answers Kalidus and because Shielded hadn't been printed yet, that answers Kalidus and uh, Grease Fang. So there were Grease Fang decks around, and there just isn't a good one at two mana. And then I thought, like, oh shit, is Celestial Purge legal? And I immediately scryfalled, and I was like, it's not. You're, and you were very disappointed. Yeah, I was. I was. I was upset. So yeah, I had another Celestial one. Celestial Purge thinking, is my answer. Yeah, I had another one that I was thinking about, and I couldn't think of a. Uh... I, I, I've definitely forgot about it now, but like, yeah, I don't have a good answer. What What uh, is the rest of the Celestial Purge cycle? It's Death Mark, the the crappy veil, veil of it's, veil of autumn, or yeah, the veil. crappy green veil. Uh, the Death blue one is Flash Freeze. Flash I believe. Freeze. Yep. And it's, it leaves what? Oh, the, and Combust. In Combust, yeah. that leaves everyone. Yeah, Combust sucks. Um, yeah. Flash Freeze would probably see some play eventually. Like it's just a, it was a good card, and pro- Death Mark counters. Yeah, counters most things in Mono Green, but doesn't count. I mean, actually. Deathmark would be really good, wouldn't it? Because mono white humans and Atlanta elves are the things everybody wants to kill. <laughs> Deathmark only kills green stuff, right? It's green, green and white. white. Okay, it's green and white. Okay, yeah, because they all, they all hit the enemy colors for the color of the card. Yeah, Rakdos would probably play it. Yeah, they would probably play some in the side in the side bread. Yeah, just put that <laughs> entire cycle into Pioneer. There you go. There's your answer. All all five of those. Well, maybe not the crappy ones, but a couple of the good ones. Yeah, you so. don't need Autumn's Fail. Nobody's playing that yeah. one. Yep. Unless you were ratted it to draw a card, then it would be busted. Sure. But they would never uh, print that card. No. <laughs> they're smart. They're smart enough to never do that. But anyway, I think that's gonna do it for this week's episode. So I'd like to wish Ross the best of luck next week. We don't thank get you, to uh, chat before that. And I, I will uh, say b- before you wrap us, sure. I do remember that I also have things to do when we're done 
and I want to make you jealous with them. I'm making dinner once we end Ooh. this cast, and what I'm going making? to. So I, I, if you remember, about two months ago, I made gnocchi from scratch. Yes, and I froze a significant portion of it, and I'm okay. going to boil those tonight, and I'm going to make a pesto from scratch with some beet greens because I made a roasted beet risotto a couple weeks ago, and I froze the green the tops. Sounds so good. So I'm going to chop those up and grind them in a mortar and pestle with some roast toasted pine nuts, little parm so good. olive oil, and uh, toss that with some scratch made gnocchi. Yeah. Eating is actually one of the things that I have to do after this, and I have some some meal prep that I made that's really good, so I'm going to go smash some of that. Well, Ross. Good. Oh, if anybody's going to Philly for the Pro Tour, eat at Reading Terminal Market. Yeah. Get the sandwiches. What's the sandwich place called? Dinix and Herschel's. Yeah, They're both great. They're right next to Honestly, each other in the market. Just walk around the place one day and like plan of make a plan of attack and be like, I'm gonna go to this place, this place, and this place. So that way you can kind of just like check it off when you're like, Oh, I kind of want a dessert thing today. I'm gonna go get a cannoli from this place. You know? Oh, I'm going to get a sticky bun from the Amish bakery and it's gonna be delicious. Yeah, the Amish delicious. stuff, by the way, if, if there's Amish people in there doing food and drinks stuff like that. Their food is fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. So good. The, Their the, juices are great. The donut stand. Yeah. Oh, it's all so good. The ice I, cream stand, the crepe stand. The Indian stand, the Cajun stand. Maybe it's... we can um the Cajun stand I stay away from, by the way. They offered me like jambalaya and gumbo there once and I had to I had to politely say no. Yeah. Obviously. King cakes. I was like, yeah, I, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to eat. Well, I used to fruit. get an andouille egg and cheese sandwich in the morning from them. Oh my god, that sounds so And it was good. on like an eight inch baguette for like five dollars. That it... sounds amazing. Yeah. But for everybody, if you're going to go to Philly, that's that's the place we recommend going. Just 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 go there for almost all of your meals. You'll be fine. And then at night, uh, there's a million restaurants around. Just Google. Yeah, just Google it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Chinatown no. is also right next to there. So if you yeah. like Chinese food, big fan, big fan. All right, Ross. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for giving us some of the inside information for the first tour. I know you got to keep some of it a little bit guarded, but best of luck. Everybody here wishes you the best of luck, and hopefully, we get a really good story when you come back. Thank you very much. I I hope so too. All right, see y'all next week.